stream, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Why don't you all look at somebody next to you and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you can be seated. If you'd open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 11, we have uh, a number of things that we want to share with you uh, today, and we want to take communion together uh, this morning. And uh, I believe that it's an important place and where we are in this message uh, bringing to you uh, concerning that we are the body. And uh, uh, before we get into the Word, just want to thank you. Uh, uh, there was 15 people uh, from here, New Creation Church, Glenwood Springs, that went up to Venue Church in Steamboat Springs yesterday for their fall festival. And uh, it was awesome. And Cassie said that they called her and they texted her and we're so thankful for the people that went up there uh, for that time. And so thank you for participating with them, encouraging them, edifying them just by your presence. <laughs> right? I know you worked hard, but, you know, it was such an encouragement just for you to show up there uh, representing uh, New Creation Church, the unity that we have together with them. And so thank you for doing that. Cassie, thank you for organizing that, giving them someone that they could go to and connection there. Uh, we appreciate the work that you put in uh, in getting that all together, working with Rose and Matt, and uh, praise the Lord. Thank you for doing that. It was awesome. So 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, and we start in verse 29. This is really where we launched off, and I spent some time uh, uh, just kind of meditating on this as I was looking at the body, and then today we're kind of uh, endeavoring to come full circle to a degree here. It says, for he who eats and drinks, speaking of communion, he who eats or drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment uh, to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, you know, right in immediate context, he's talking about taking the taking of the elements of communion. But before that, he said, you're gathering together as the church and you're not acting like the church. There's disunity among you. And you're not serving one another and one another's interests. You've come to serve your own interests by coming early, eating, drinking. Even some of them were getting drunk based on where they were at. And he said, that's not coming. To, he said, if that's the case, come to church, eat at home, and come to church. And they begin to partake of those things uh, because they did not discern. One translation even says that the original took out the Lord's, uh, the word Lord's. And he says, you've eaten, you've eaten and drank because you didn't discern the body, the body of Christ. And so we're partaking of the body of Christ, but we see throughout the scripture that Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. Right. So we know that Jesus walked in a physical body like ours, but he lived in this body as an example to us how human beings uh, anointed by the Spirit of God free from sin can live in authority over the devil. Yeah. Right? That's why he lived 33 and a half years. If it was just simply shedding spotless blood, if it was just a quick work like that, then as a baby, when Herod came to kill him, God could have just yielded him up as a baby. He, was, he had spotless blood. But he lived as an example to show that human beings are tempted. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. 
And so he died on the cross, shedding that spotless blood, having been tempted, yet showing that free from sin and anointed by the Spirit of God, you and I have power over the enemy. We have power over sin. Then he died. Then he raised from the dead and said, your old sinful life, just like I died, died with me, and a new life arose. And in that new life, God's plan is that you and I be free from sin. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Free from sin. And again, that revelation, we have such a sin consciousness of that we have sinned, what sin we've sinned, how we've fallen short, how we can't make it. And the enemy continues with that, that with that sin consciousness, we're always fighting against it. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews that the blood of Jesus was sprinkled upon our hearts to cleanse us from an evil conscience or from the consciousness of our old sinful nature that we might now be conscious of the righteousness that we are in Christ Jesus every single day. Right, And some people would say, well, that righteousness, consciousness, people just think you're, they're righteousness conscious, they're not conscious of sin, and so they go ahead and sin. Now, just think about that for a minute. That's just the devil. If I'm so righteousness conscious, I'm not going to want to sin. Because I'm not conscious of sin. So, you know... People just try, the enemy tries to get us thinking, well, you know, that makes sense. If I just think I'm righteous, I might sin. So I need to think about sin. Huh. But if I didn't think about sin, and I didn't remember my old sin, and I just knew I was in a relationship with God, and I just followed him, and he's righteous in all of his ways, hmm, I might not sin. Anyway, that's all free. Come on, but part of that's our communion with him. What he did for us, he wants to affect us. Amen. Right? And so when we look at that and we begin to think about partaking of the Lord's Supper or the, the communion that we have, it's important. First John chapter 1, verse 3, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago. John's writing, he said, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also... Uh, have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so there's, there's a mouthful there. We're going to read a lot of scripture. I'm probably going to pack a lot on you today and then we're going to have to go next week and unpack some of it. But... Uh, um, Again, I want you to see this, different writers, you can go study this out, different writers think about different things, but in context, if you keep reading, there's two, there can be a two-fold meaning here. He says, our fellowship with, is with Jesus and the Father. So he says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with Jesus and the Father. But he also says that we have fellowship with one another, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son if we're walking in the light. 
Well, what is that? So 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, he who says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. I like those scriptures that say there's no cause for stumbling or you'll never stumble. We're so programmed to think that we're just stumbling around in life, but God wants us to not stumble. He says there's no cause for stumbling in him, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so, uh, again, we say we walk in the light, but he says if you hate your brother. So you could be sitting there right now and say, well, I, just, I don't hate anyone. I don't really hate anyone. I just have a problem with so-and-so. Well, that word hate, when you come down to it, means to despise or to lowly esteem to lowly esteem. That's why in Philippians, when Paul is talking about the love of God, he says to esteem others more highly than yourself, to look out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others. Why? He's trying to instruct us that, that even, you know, sometimes that out, you're like, am I supposed to put them first? Well, yes, but the, the idea where most of us are, if we shot to put them first, we might at least put them at the same level. Hmm. Hmm. But we're a little bit concerned about putting somebody else first because that might mean that we would have to take a little bit more time concerning them. But he's talking about discerning the body and understanding the body. And then he says, if we understand this, we would have fellowship with one another. Fellowship with one another. And so that word fellowship is a Greek word that means communion. That we are actually to be understanding who Jesus is, who we all are, so that we might have communion with him and with one another. Communion. So in Rick Renner's uh, book, The Dynamic Duo, uh, he breaks this word communion down. You can look at it into uh, three different areas, intimacy, partnership, and shared responsibility. That's communion. Now we're starting to broaden who we are in Christ and really what we understand about the church. First of all, intimacy, right? So immediately just take away intimacy with your spouse. But that intimacy means a close Interaction. Somebody say interaction. interaction. Not independence, but a close interaction that binds us together as one. A close interaction that binds us together as one. That was Jesus' final prayer on the earth. He went into his prayer closet and he said, God, my desire is that these who you've given to me that I'm sending into the world, that they would be one as we are one, that they would be joined together in an intimate binding to be one as we are one. And not only these 12 and these here, but everyone who will believe after them. would become one. We would have communion. The church, 
Right now, the church is vitally important. John Grunewald was here last week, and, and a year ago or so when he was here, he said he, he personally in his study believes that that's the great commission to build the church, to build the church. John uh, Bevere, in his book, Kryptonite, he believes that the power and the signs and the wonders and the miracles that will happen in the last days will come through the church if the church will learn to be united and walk in love. When Jen Tringale was talking about the church uh, last week and the generations coming together and adding to that, she was talking about how the church would have influence not just in the building but in different areas of culture and society in the last days. The importance of the church, not separate, not independent members all over, but the church having an impact. Why? Because it's the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. That when we understand that and we look at each other and when we hear the word, we're not just hearing the word, not just, listen to me, esteem others highly. Look out not only for your own interests, but the interests of others. We are always connected to someone else. And so every writing to the church, every single writing to the church is writing to you. But if we forget that it's also writing to you and to you and to you. So the blood that changed you changed you and it changed you. We're all connected by the blood. It didn't just change you for you. It changed you and you and me to link together in something greater. And that fellowship binds us together. The oneness of Christ, the intimacy of Christ joins us together. It binds us together. It links us together. We're in covenant, not just with him. We're in covenant with one another. And it'll take a lot more time than we have today to teach on that covenant And the binding aspect of that covenant that we have with one another. We think about contracts. We just think about friendships. We think about our own decisions that I can come and go as I please, but in covenant, you can't. Second thing is it's partnership. Partnership. That means you're invested in the outcome. You're invested in the outcome. The very first week we read uh, from the book Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. He started talking about parts of the body that don't invest in the outcome. They just hook on and draw from instead of adding to. Unfortunately, in the body of Christ, we have many people coming to say, I'm not invested in the outcome. I'm just, if everybody else works hard and it's really good and pleasant and there's an overflow here, I'm just going to come and partake of the, the flow, but I'm not going to invest myself in the outcome. But partnership is investing in the outcome. It's jointly contributing to the end result. That's partnership. Not taking from, but adding to. It's shared responsibility. Shared responsibility. So therefore, we have a responsibility concerning the growth of others, right? Not just ourselves. Discipleship. So he says this fellowship 
this communion that we have has to do with our interpersonal relationship with him. With him. With him. Well, I have a relationship with him in my prayer closet every day. Praise the Lord. With him. With him. With him. We spend time personally with him. He spends personally time with us, but he says, I've connected you with me, my body. Come on, many are weak, many are sick, some even sleep. They didn't discern the body. Well, no, I'm, it's just me and him. It's just me and him. No, it's never just me and him. There's a place where he just wants me and him. But why? Because he's pouring more of him into me so that I can be more in him. Because when we got born again, he engrafted us into him, into his body. Come on, some of you are going to have to go and think about this. I know I can tell by the look on your face, you're like, no, he's talking about not, but that's where we have to open up. He's not just talking about, he's talking about, because Paul said, I'm a little upset that you're coming and taking communion, thinking it's just like this. And he says, and you're ignoring this. Okay, I got to keep moving. Come on, we're about to take communion. I want to. Shake up your mind a little bit so that as we prepare, we're going, okay, where am I at in the communion of the body? Because he died not just for me. He died for all of us. You can't take away that he died for me. But I can't take away that he died for you. <laughs> That's what unites us and the understanding of that would unite us so deep that the devil couldn't pull us apart. But it's that lack of understanding and discernment that allows the enemy to get in with small stuff. Things that easily beset us. And when we look at eternity, some of the things that we thought, this didn't easily beset me, this was a big deal, in eternity wasn't quite as big as we thought. So I needed help, and that's why he sent you the helper. He didn't leave you without help. Somebody, I need help. He sent help. And we have the helper, and you have the helper, and we begin to commune, the helper starts helping Two are better than one, right? All right. All right, 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. I'm going to read this out of the Message Bible just for fun. He says, you can easily enough see how, this is 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. You can easily see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. 
Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his, resurrected, his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels were once used to identify ourselves. Labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different uh, but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If the foot should say, I am not elegant like a hand uh, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body. Would that make it so? If ear said, I am not beautiful like I, limpid and... Uh, limp- limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from your body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If it were all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. No matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your body, you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is without comparison. If anything, you have more, uh, if anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? Now, I know some of you are having to stop and think about that. <laughs> hmm. hmm. I'll take full-bodied hair. <laughs> but long-term, think long-term, not just today. That's 
The way God designed our bodies is is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part, the parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. The parts, the part, if one part hurts, every other part is involved in hurt and in healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of the bo- that body does your part mean anything. You're familiar with some of the parts that God has formed in his church, which is his body. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, those who pray in tongues. But it is obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body and not a gigantic unidimensional part. It's not all apostle, not all prophet, not all miracle worker, not all healer, not all prayer in tongues, not all interpreter of tongues, and yet some of you keep competing for so-called important parts. But now I want you to lay out, I want to lay out a far better way. I like that because, you know, most translations say desire earnestly the best gifts. He came around to say, listen, you keep competing for a more important part instead of looking at your part. We have to be a little bit careful of that. Again, desiring the best gifts works there. But again, as we get into this, we understand this, you know, uh, just to put it in some aspect where we're going in part to understand that, you know, the eye doesn't say, listen, you don't need me to serve you seeing anymore. No, the eye serves an important part in the body. If you were to say that your stomach say, you know what, I'm taking a break today. You don't need me for digestion. So in other words, we can't say we don't need you or you can't say the church doesn't need you. Again, we get into that place, well, you need me as I want to be. But he says, no, you can't just fight over what you want to be. There's a place in the body that we find that we fit and we serve in the body. Every part of the body serves the body. Serves the body. Serves the body. I'm just going to get into that because over the last two decades, and I love it. I mean, I've been a part of that, but we always have to be careful uh, when things start to swing because people didn't ever want to lead in the body. There's been a great two decade at least emphasis on leadership, but we lost sight of servanthood. Everybody's studying leadership and not as many studying servanthood. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, again, we've, we've taken this part off for the sake of time. There are, as he said, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, uh, offices set in the church. And this is the reason they're set in the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. 
to a perfect or complete mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share which causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so the first thing he says is that we're here to equip the saints for work. Somebody say work. Work. Of ministry. Ministry. Somebody say of of ministry. So he said there's a work of ministry. And so we've been taught about ministry forever. Has anybody here wondered what your ministry is? few of you, and some of you think he's going to go somewhere and I'm not answering this question. Because I hear it a lot more than hands were raised up. I just want to know what my ministry is. What's, what's my ministry? Have you ever asked yourself this? What is my work in serving others? I'm seeking God to know where I work to serve. Because literally, that's what he's saying. He's not saying you're being equipped for a high position of ministry. That word means he's equipping the saints for the work of service. Discerning the Lord's body. Every part is as important as another. I hear people say, I want to minister, start to work on ministry. Say, how have you thought about children's church? Ah! Ah! I mean, what a great impact to take the gift of God in you and implant it in a generation. No, 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 no. That's not a very seen place. And they don't listen much. There's creative ways. I had to do children's church for a while. And before every children's church, I bought two rolls of quarters and got a $5 bill. And so I would break it into sections and tell them, and I don't care how old they are, you've taught them well about money. (laughs) Getting it anyway. And so I would just go and break off questions and tell them, listen, I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying because I'm going to ask you a question periodically, and if you get the question right, I'm going to give you some quarters. And at the end, we have one big question, and whoever answers that gets a $5 bill. And they were listening. (laughs) They were not running all over the place. They were not getting wild. Because I don't really know how to play games and preach the gospel. Just not like, all right, let's play games and get all wound up and then sit down. I'm like, sit down, shut up, and you'll make some money. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come on, relax. I did give him money, but I didn't tell him to sit down and shut up. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And somebody might walk up to me uh, after service and say, I remembered when you gave us a $5 bill because some of you are still here. But most likely, those moments in children's church are times that you would rather forget. 
But at the same time, there's a place where you can serve someone else what God's put on the inside of you. Why wouldn't we want to take any opportunity? Well, that's not really my calling. Hmm. Your real calling and my real calling, according to Paul, is to become more like Jesus. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me. So I just want to break this down just a little bit. This will be quick, hopefully painless. So number one, what does this scripture teach us a little bit? Number one, that we are equipped, we are being equipped to serve the body. And when we serve the body, it edifies or builds up the body. Number two, it says that building up brings us into unity. Brings us into unity. Again, everybody comes at it a little different way, but John Bevere said the power of the Holy Ghost has always been released when there's unity. People say, we want a move of God. But then outside, they're talking about what's right, what's not right, what needs to change, what doesn't need to change, who's this and who's that. When we get into unity, that's where you see the power of the Spirit of God begin to move like never before. When we serve one another, when we have that partnership, when we have that investment in one another, it's much more difficult to talk about what's wrong with people when you've invested your life in them. Told this story before, but you know, we were having trouble. Uh, when I first started pastoring, people were coming and going. They were, uh, most of them were going uh, uh, right around that time to a different church in the valley. And so I started pastoring. And, uh, you know, I, most of you probably don't, you know, just open up to God sometimes and tell him what you're dealing with. Some of you might. But I just said, you know what, God, this, this bothers me. Uh, whoever, the, the, you know, the pastor over there, he seems to be stealing sheep. You know, there's a lot of terminology back then. Stealing sheep, and, and I don't think that's right, and I'm telling him what I think about it. And so I get down the road just a little bit about what I think about it. And, uh, you know, normally I get to have a conversation with God. He lets me talk first, and then he waits, and then he says, are you done? And so, you know, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes I don't have that much to say. But, you know, it was basically that sense of, like, are you finished? Yes, I'm finished. He says, what I want you to do, and we, weren't, we didn't have, like, very much money in, in uh, the bank. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to write a check. He said, the church that you're talking about, uh, they are about to come on a balloon payment on their land. So I want you to write a check and send it to them. I said, that is really not what I was asking you seriously you want me to do that he said yes I do and I had all the reasons in my heart not to and at the same time uh, you know my heart is I want to obey God so there's things in my head and there's things in my heart he said I want you to do that so we wrote the check and uh, just said okay God well I guess I don't know what you want to do here but do that wasn't a couple weeks later, I ran into somebody in the grocery store, and they said, hey, aren't you the pastor of New Creation Church? I said, yes, I am. And they said, man, thank you. Our pastor stood up, and he held a check and said, look what New Creation Church did to help us with our balloon payment. I was like, well, yes, we did. <laughs> you know, you always do it when it turns out. You feel a little bit more like you knew what you were doing. Well, what happened? 
We invested, and ever since then, it's been tough to not believe God for their best. Later, we sowed into their building. They built a building. We've sowed into other churches in our communities, buildings. Why? Because when you invest in them, it's very hard for you to hope for their failure. So it brings us to that place of unity and the knowledge of him. So it causes us, uh, uh, the, the church, we join together, we serve one another. It causes us to be equipped, edified. It causes us to mature. We've talked about this. When you have to interact with other people and actually put into development the fruit of the spirit and, and the knowledge of God and his word and the application of it with people. It's one thing to see yourself in the prayer closet being mature and perfect. It's another thing to run into somebody who's having a terrible day and apply everything that you were rejoicing about in prayer. It takes people to mature us as a body. It just does. All kinds of people. People who are going to edify and lift us up and people who are going to test our love walk. Because we're growing as a body. It secures us. It says it keeps us from being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickier of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Right now, there is so much doctrine in the world and you have every bit of access to it. And it's not that it's right or it's wrong. But some people are serving God. They're just going great. They get a different doctrine and they're like, wow, I was growing in God, but this really sounds good to me. I'm going to break loose and go over there. Not that it's bad, but now all of a sudden we're, we're ripped apart. It holds us more secure. It teaches us the word of God so that we might speak truth instead of what the enemy's saying. We might speak truth to one another and truth always brings freedom and helps us grow. Being a part of the body helps us find where we fit together. So I don't know where I fit. As you get involved, you begin to find out where you fit if you don't allow offense or dissatisfaction to fit in. And as we go through that process, we learn to edify one another, grow one another, and build the body. In other words, what we do here begins to, if we do it well, begins to go out there, as Jen said, and affect all areas of our culture, which draws people into the body, doesn't repel them from the body. When they see how the body works together, how it matures, how it edifies itself, how it serves itself for growth, there's something that begins to minister to the people outside. As we serve them, what we're getting, what we're seeing, what we're developing, they're drawn into the growth of the body. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1. Verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and we declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, oh, I'm in the wrong place, I'm sorry. Praise the Lord. I'm trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be. I read this all the time. I've lost it. 
Hmm, there we go. Yeah, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. From all sin. There's so much about having faith in the blood of Jesus. We'll begin to talk about that a little bit more. But if we have faith in the blood of Jesus, that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us and washed us, it's cleansed our conscience from sin. That it's there to heal our bodies, that we have a new covenant with him, that everything he has is ours and everything we have is his in service to him. It's not just individually, although it is. Every single person in this room, the blood of Jesus was shed for you. Amen. That you might be forgiven washed, cleansed, sanctified, set free from sin to serve the living God. To serve him in whatever way. We look at that leadership, but if you look at it it, from Paul to James to Titus to Jude to Peter, when they wrote a letter, they didn't first say, listen, I'm an apostle. Every one of them, the first thing that they wrote in the greeting was, I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Before my position, I serve him in serving you. Praise the Lord. I know some here may say, well, that wasn't much of a communion message. But he said, we understand this, we actually have communion with him and with one another. So you have the elements. Jonathan's going to sing a song he wrote. I love this song. And during that time, I just want us, the Bible says, as you get ready to partake of communion, examine your heart. I'm going to examine my heart. There's things God's been working on me about when we started this message I ask you all to forgive me, even in times past, where I lost sight of really the reality of the body. I had to take that time with him as a leader and say, you know what? In all of the activity, in all the things that happened, all the tragedy that took place in our midst, started to put up a guard, started to put up things, and I wasn't rightly seeing everything that was going on. But I knew God wanted to do something here. I know Beyond a shadow of a doubt, he wants this to be a healing place. He wants this to be where the Spirit of God moves freely, where God can do things magnificently. And it's not that he's not, but there's an increase of it. Somebody came in the other day and said, I love to come here because every time I do, I sit down and the Spirit of God overwhelms me. Amen. Spirit of God is here. There's just different ways he wants to manifest. There's something more that he has for us as a local church body and his church. So I know that I've had to go through this and I I will continue. But I'm just asking you in this time of communion, where we started, where we are, where we'll unpack just a little bit more next week, to just ask yourself, how have I looked at, not simply the body this way, but how have I looked at the body this way? If you haven't looked at it correctly, 
It's a place where we come together, where we worship him. We learn of his word. We learn how to live by the authority of the word. We serve one another. The things we've talked about, just you and him, lay it before him. And I believe there's going to be some healing take place. There's going to be some understanding come. There's going to be some things that he deals with your heart and with your mind in an extraordinary way because we've cleared out some things and allowed him to show us not only him, but him. Go ahead.
Thank you, Father. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, I delivered to you that which was delivered to me. But the same night that Jesus was crucified, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which was broken for you. His body was broken, certainly to bring healing and deliverance. That fellowship with God was broken. And when Jesus' body was broken, he paid the price through his broken body for sin, what he had done to break humanity apart from God so that we could all receive him and that his body would come back together whole, strong, and healthy. Again, it applies to you and your physical body, but it also applies to his body, the church, that his body might be healthy, whole, and strong. Thank you for giving your life for us individually and for us, your church. So now we partake of the bread. He went on to say that this is my blood, cup of the new covenant, a better covenant based on better promises, not that of bulls and goats to cover, but a covenant once and for all to redeem us unto God. The blood applied to our hearts cleanses us from the sin of the past and the consciousness of that, brings us into a righteousness consciousness of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that we're no longer bound to sin, but we're bound to him through his blood. Let's partake. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. And when he comes again, he's coming for his church. A glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You and I are members of something much greater than ourselves. Corporately, we come together as his church, which is his bride. So when we take communion together, we show what he did for us But as we recognize what he did for us, it brings us all together into that church, that body, that bride. And when we come together in communion, we show that he's coming again for us. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you for what you've done. For us individually, what you've done as we come together corporately and that synergy that takes place spiritually, that the flow of your blood says that the life of all flesh is in the blood. The life of your body is in the blood. How the blood freely flows, the faith in the blood, the understanding of the blood, what the blood has done, 
the blood and the power of the blood still today as we understand that, as there's a free flow, as we connect together, the blood begins to wash out sin consciousness in your body and in our lives. That there would be a greater righteousness consciousness in our life, but also in your body. That we might be united together in the relationship, the right relationship to you and to one another. Increase our knowledge of this, for you said that everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness comes through the knowledge of you. And we know that in what you know and who you are has everything to do with your body. So thank you for revealing it to our hearts and our lives, correcting us where we've missed it that we might come together and truly see what you have declared over this place and what you have declared over your church universally for this great day, this great generation of harvest. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We'll say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.